Well, we are this week in a, in a transition between our Advent series and our series on the means of grace that we're beginning today. And that transition is 2 Peter chapter 3. And it works out pretty well this way. So we started last week in 2 Peter 3, ended in verse 13. We're going to continue 2 Peter chapter 3 that's on page 1019 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. I'll read verses 14 through 18, but we're really going to zoom in on verse 18 today as our message. These are the words of our Lord spoken through Peter. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let's begin our time in prayer. Lord, we, we're seeking you this morning as your people, as we begin a new year together. Lord, I pray, as we prayed this, this morning before church, as a ministry team, that, that you, would, you would stir in us this year a desire to grow in grace. And Lord, beginning with looking to your word, that you would help us to see the importance of growing in grace. Lord, guard us against anything that would lead us astray. And guard us by your spirit through your word. Help us to have understanding today. In Christ's name, amen. Well, there's, there's not much in the Bible about New Year's resolutions. But there is a verse about resolutions. There's one. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11. And Paul's telling the, the Thessalonian church that he's praying for them. He's always praying for them. And look what he says to them concerning these resolutions. He says, to this end, we always pray for you. That our God may make you worthy of his calling. And may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. And you and him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. See the word resolve there? Kind of all we got. Paul says he's asking God to fulfill the resolves or the, the resolutions of the Thessalonians. In other words, because they, the, the Christians in this church, are born again believers. They have born again hearts. They're going to desire to do good. All right, if you're a Christian, you desire to do good because you've been born again. This church is resolved to pursue goodness and works of faith. 
And so Paul prays for them. And he prays for them, not that they'd be able to do these things. Because where does that lead? That leads to boasting, right? He prays for them that God would fulfill those desires in them. God would do it. Why? Well, if you you look in that passage we read, because that's how they're to be made worthy of God's calling on them. God completes the work he began in them. And also, he's, he's, he's praying this so that Christ would be glorified in them and that they'd be glorified in Christ. And how does that work? Well, in a word, grace. It happens according to the grace of God. Probably every new year, you're a Christian, or even if you're not a Christian, you you begin to mumble to yourself, I really should read my Bible more this year. Who's, Who's already mumbled that to themselves this year? Or, I want to give more this year, or I want to serve more this year, or I want to memorize scripture this year. Or maybe there are are situations that you are resolving to avoid. Or there's a particular change in attitude, some sinful character flaw that you know you need to change, and so you have resolved in the past to change it, and you're resolving again. But before, before you do, right? It's still early. I got you early in the year. Before you do that, Let's take a moment, because it's healthy to do this, and let's examine what led to our previous failures. That's always fun, isn't it? If you're like me, I'd venture to say that your past efforts failed or faded, to put it nicely, because if you made an effort at all, and that's only some of us actually made an effort, but if you did make an effort at all, you did it probably more out of a sense of, of, of white-knuckled willpower, right? A, a self-righteous desire to do better. And, and then when you failed, because we love ourselves, we, we rationalize it away, right? Well, I'm good enough. Maybe I didn't get that thing accomplished that I wanted to accomplish. Maybe I didn't finish the year with that new habit. But I'm, but I'm good enough because I'm better than that person. Or, or, or maybe you gave yourself the I'll try harder next time pep talk. And here we are, next time. Or with all the antinomian conviction you could muster up. You said, God forgives me and he doesn't care anyway. And so you just moved on. And on and on, year after year. And when you look back, you're the same immature Christian that you were the year that you received Christ. Well, what went wrong? Well, even, even in our desires for good things and to do good things, our motives can be misaligned. A lot of our failure in the Christian life is that we try and grow apart from grace. We, we, know, we know we're saved by grace, but we think we're going to be able to grow by our own strength, by our own effort. John, John Owen, I don't know if you know him, he's an old English Puritan from the 1600s. He has this wonderful quote. It says, Our greatest hindrance in the Christian life is not our lack of effort, but our lack of acquaintedness with our privileges. 
our lack of acquaintedness with our privileges. In other words, what keeps us from maturing as Christians, it's not because we're not trying, though for some of us it's because we're not trying. But our greatest hindrance, maybe even what keeps us from trying, is that we don't fully understand what we've been given. We don't know what we've been given in Christ. We don't know the grace of God. Think about this. The Christian life began. Your Christian life begins as a result of God's grace towards you. We're justified. We're made right before God by grace alone through faith alone. We mature in our faith as a result of God's grace. We finish this life in Christ as a result of God's grace. All of who we are in Christ from the Father's plan for us from eternity past to our new birth in the Holy Spirit, our union with Christ, our future eternity as the bride of Christ, as his church, all of it, it's all God's grace. At no point, in anywhere in that chain, at no point is there anything that you or I merit. It's all grace. And that's how Peter can tell us in verse 18 of our text this morning, but grow in grace. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory. Right? Because it's grace. The only real and lasting growth that you and I are going to have as a Christian is growth in grace. And so Peter commands us. Rather, Christ commands us through Peter. He says, grow in grace. It is imperative that we grow in grace. Well, well, why? Why do we have to grow? Look at verse 17, the verse before it. He's telling this beloved church that he doesn't want them to be carried away with the error of lawless people and lose their own stability. That means lose their faith. And then then you get this but in verse 18. But instead, grow in grace. In other words, growing in grace is the antidote for being led astray by error. But then, and you see this in your notes, what does that even mean? Right? I, I I hope when you read the Bible, you don't just see these things, these phrases there are these little pithy statements that are true, and they'll just think, well, that's just Bible language, and I just believe whatever that means, whatever it is. Examine it. What does it mean? What does it mean to grow in grace? I mean, think about it. We understand what it means to grow, right? And we, we know that Christians are supposed to grow. We get that sense from reading the New Testament, and we understand what grace is. It's unmerited favor. Something good that we didn't deserve has been freely given to us. But what does it mean to grow in that, in grace? How do we grow in something that was given to us? Look at verse 18 again. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. I've been shorthanding this first part because it's easier to say grow in grace. It's got this GG, grow in grace, right? But but what he says is that we are to be growing in grace and 
and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They're so intertwined here. We can't disconnect them. It's like a, it's like a two-lane, one-way road. What separates the lanes, if anything separates the lanes, it's just a, a dashed white line. But they're going in the same direction. They have the same destination. The further along you are in growing in grace, the further along you'll be growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The further along you are in the knowledge of Christ, the further you are in grace. Same road, same direction, same destination. These, these twin ways of maturing in Christ are always connected with one another in the New Testament. Even at the beginning of this letter, in 2 Peter 1, verse 2, Peter says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in what? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. So grace is increased in us. It's multiplied in us in the knowledge of Christ. And then in the next verse, Chapter 1, verse 3, Peter says, His divine power has granted it to us. He's given it. He's graced by grace. He's given it to us. All things that pertain to life and godliness through what? Through the knowledge of Him who called us. See the connection? You're growing in godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us. Grace is multiplied to us in the knowledge of Christ. God has given us everything we need for the Christian life through the knowledge of Christ. Do you see the connection? And then he gives us, if you keep looking in 2 Peter chapter 1, you get this list. All the areas that are supposed to be increasing in our Christian life. We talked about these last week some. Faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. And then it's back to knowledge. Look at verse 8. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of Christ. Growing in grace and growing in the knowledge of Christ, two lanes, same highway, same direction, same destination. Think about it this way. If you're truly growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, then that means you're learning more about him. Right? That's just as simple. As you get to know someone, you learn more about that person. Think of Pastor Saunders' sermon a few weeks ago on how Jesus is truly and fully God and truly and fully man. When you, when you learn that, as a Christian, that's not an academic exercise. You're learning more about your Savior. But growing in your knowledge of Christ is also growing in your knowledge of the work of Christ. Think of our study in Matthew's gospel over the last year, for those of you who have been with us the entire time. Every time that we see Jesus' work, we're seeing how he's fulfilling prophecy, he's revealing God, he's fulfilling the law. In seeing his work, we're growing in our knowledge of him because we're learning more and more about how he is the Christ and what it means that he is the Christ. When we reflect on what Jesus accomplished on the cross, we're growing in our knowledge of him. When we learn about what is happening when he rose from the dead, when he conquered death, and he ascended into heaven, we grow in our knowledge of him. When, when over the last two weeks, we, we all together grew in our understanding of the Holy Spirit, in our understanding of the return of Christ, what, we, we were growing in the knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And, and when we do that, as we grow closer to him in knowledge, as we see more and more how wondrous and majestic and merciful and loving and powerful and most of all how holy and righteous Jesus is, at the same time, the nearer we get to him in that, we see ourselves more clearly, don't we? We see our own nature, our flaws. We see our own sin for what it truly is. We see how undeserving we are of Christ. And then we just marvel that he would be given to us. How else do you think John Newton could write amazing grace? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. If he's not meditating on Jesus Christ and the grace given in Jesus Christ, he would not have come to that realization of of his wretchedness, would he? Well, you know what happens as, as, we, as we near Christ in knowledge? Well, we grow in grace. We grow in that grace, that, that, that undeserved gift of Christ. We grow in that. We're, we're humbled by God's love and mercy and grace towards us, and so we grow in our thankfulness and in our Christ-likeness. The, the nearer you get to Jesus and your knowledge of him, the more, the more immersed you become in the grace of God. It, it becomes the air that you breathe. It becomes what energizes you. And the closer you get to Christ in that atmosphere, breathing that air, the more you become like him. Now you might be thinking that sounds really like idealistic. Right? who hasn't met lots of people who know a lot about the Bible, but were total jerks. I have. <laughs> I, I was one of those. Okay? And, and that happens. That actually happens a lot, doesn't it? You can memorize lots of facts about Jesus and not at all be growing in grace. Well, it's the same way that you can look at that map of that two-lane road heading in that particular direction and make observations as an outsider about where the turns are and what obstacles will be there. But that's different than being on that road, isn't it? Studying a trail map is very different than hiking that trail. You can, you can read a biography and know a lot about a person, but that's different than being married to that person. Isn't it? The same facts impact your life very differently. Oh, I read in a book that that person is a vegan. Oh, I'm married to that vegan. That's a different life, isn't it? It's a, it's a very different life. My wife's not a vegan. She, she likes meat more than I do. <laughs> the first person speculates about what that marriage might be like. The second person realizes it. He experiences it. If, you, if you've not been saved by Jesus, if you don't know him then knowing more about him is just an academic exercise but if you have been saved by him if you've truly been brought into union with him by the Holy Spirit then everything that the Bible says is true about him as you come to know those truths you don't just see them you experience them your life is changed by that knowledge increasingly as an example, 
Let's think about the Apostle Paul for a moment. Okay, we're still in this idea of what it means to grow in grace. Still wrestling with it. We've connected somehow knowledge of Christ and knowing Christ more with growing in grace. Let Paul be our example. In his letter to the Philippian church, which in a lot of his letters you get these autobiographical details about his life. Well, in his letter to the Philippian church, in chapter 3, verse 8, he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord, Christ Jesus my Lord. And he says he's given everything up in order to gain Christ. And with Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then he says in verse 10, that I may know him. Look, I may know him. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain resurrection from the dead. Which is what we're all looking forward to. So in one sense, Paul is saying he knows Jesus, right? He's acquainted with Jesus. He's been saved by Jesus. And in another sense, he's saying he wants to grow more acquainted. He wants to grow closer to Christ. He wants to get closer. Because as he gets closer, he gets closer to the reward that is in Christ. And of course, in verse 12, he says, well, I haven't attained it yet. Paul's not perfect yet. He hasn't obtained resurrection from the dead yet. He hasn't obtained it. But he says, I press on to make it my own. And then look at this. This is is the part that I think brings it full circle for us. Why does Paul press on towards Christ? Why does he persevere in his faith? Why does he want to grow in his faith? Why does he want to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ? Look at what he says. I press on to make it my own because... Jesus Christ has made me his own. You see the question? What is, his, his motives are rooted in what Christ has done for him. Christ's work for Paul, his full and complete saving work on Paul's behalf, is the motivation for Paul to own his salvation by growing in Christ. He's growing in grace. In this state of grace, in Romans 5, he talks about standing in grace. In this, this atmosphere of grace, being saved by grace, that motivates Paul to pursue deeper knowledge of Christ. And look at what this looks like in Paul's life. I want you to see the degree to which Paul pursues Christ. He says this in verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own that the it there that's perfection that that only comes when you meet Jesus face to face Paul hasn't made it his own I do not consider that I have made it my own but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus By the grace of God, by Jesus Christ making Paul his own, by the grace of God, Paul has exchanged his old life of working to earn favor for a life where he works because of the favor that God has shown him. You see the difference? To to put it in Peter's words, Paul has now resolved to make every effort 
to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's his one thing. That's his life. Is that your one thing? Is your one goal in life to press on in Christ? To grow in grace? And in and through the knowledge of Christ? If you've been saved by grace, and if you truly understand that you've been saved by grace and grace alone, then your one thing, your response to that grace should be a desire to grow in that grace at the cost of everything else. Everything. Well, that we should grow in grace and then the knowledge of Christ is one thing. Right? I think we're seeing that that's an imperative for us as Christians who have been saved by grace. We, we get that it's something we should do. The question is How? How? How do we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, I'll present to you this morning three ways. Three ways. The first is gradually. The second is in all things. And the third is through God's appointed means. First, gradually. We gradually grow in grace. It's like, how do you grow in grace? Gradually. Your, your justification happens in a breath. You are made right before God. You're saved the very moment that the Holy Spirit brings new life into you. And you're awakened into faith. It's in an instant. It's in that instant that you are justified. The twinkle of an eye. But your growth in grace, what we call sanctification, it's a big word, sanctification, to the being made holy, that takes much longer It's because your sanctification is taking place in this life, in the flesh. You're surrounded by the world and all the temptations of the world. And so it's a gradual process. You're gradually, as Paul says, forgetting what lies behind. Though you've been forgiven, it may take years and years before your past sins don't haunt you. And cause you to despair. It's gradual. It takes a while to forget what lies behind. We gradually lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely as we run the race with endurance. That doesn't happen immediately. Though you've been cleansed, it may take a while before old temptations are no longer temptations for you. Though you've been made new, you may find yourself burdened by old habits. They'll go away by the grace of God. But it will be gradual. Grace takes a while to set in. God's grace saves you in an instant, but it purifies you over a lifetime. It takes a while to become acquainted with the privileges that we have in Christ. Takes a while, but it takes effort. And I think you've seen now that that effort is to be grace-fueled effort. I, I think Peter made it clear to us that it would take effort. He wouldn't have given us a command 
to grow in grace if it were something that just happened to us, right? So we gradually and progressively grow in grace, and there is effort involved. So that's number one. Our growth in grace is gradual. Secondly, though, we grow in grace in all things. We need to understand that God is growing us in all things. Though we work at it, God is growing us. Paul tells the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 13, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. You have effort. God's doing the work. God is working in us in all things. Many of you know Romans 8.28. One of famous memory verses. Romans 8.28, And we know that for those who love God, all things... That's where we get this all things from. For those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God is sovereignly using all things to grow you in Christ's likeness. So there may be a season of life where it's difficult for you to even gather with us as a church because you're caring for someone who's sick or dying. There will come a point when, when because you can't see to drive at night, you can't come to Wednesday night fellowship with us anymore. There will be seasons when you have a newborn baby. And, and your time in the word is really hard to come by. And the only time you remember to pray is when you're up at 3 a.m. And your only prayer is, Lord, make this baby go to sleep. Right? <laughs> don't, don't waste those times. Don't waste those times and think because it doesn't feel like something spiritual is happening to you. Don't think that God is not using those things to shape you in Christ's likeness. Because he is. Archibald Alexander. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy. He's the first professor at Princeton Seminary. Way back in 1812, when they still believed the Bible at Princeton Seminary, he preached a sermon called Practical Directions, How to Grow in Grace and Make Progress in Piety. It's much better than my sermon. So I've posted a copy of it on our website. It's not a recording. It's just, you have to read it. But it's on our website on the home links page. I gave it to Josh and Dustin and made them read it too. Read it. Okay, read it. It is food for your soul. And in that sermon, he's got nine very biblical bits of advice on how we grow in grace. The ninth one, I think, is worth quoting. It's probably the most unexpected, but it's something we need to grasp. Let me read it for you. It's kind of long. He says, For your more rapid growth in grace, some of you will be cast into the furnace of affliction. Sickness, bereavement, bad conduct of children and relatives, Loss of property or of reputation may come upon you unexpectedly and press heavily on you. In these trying circumstances, exercise patience and fortitude. Be more solicitous to have the affliction sanctified than removed. It means pray more that God would use it than take it away. He goes on, glorify God while in the fire of adversity. That faith which is most tried is commonly most pure and precious. 
Learn from Christ how you ought to suffer. Let perfect submission to the will of God be aimed at. Never indulge a murmuring or discontented spirit. Repose with confidence on the promises. Commit all your cares to God. Make known your request to Him by prayer and supplication. Let go your too eager grasp of the world. Become familiar with death in the grave. Wait patiently until your change comes. But desire not to live a day longer than may be for the glory of God. You hear what he's saying? Very, very much in accord with with Romans 8. He's saying that rather, rather than through our intentional and planned efforts as Christians, sometimes we grow in grace through affliction. And that can be the most rapid growth you will ever experience but only if we respond to those situations in faith. We, we don't plan to be afflicted, but we can respond in such a way that, that the Spirit draws us nearer to Christ and shapes us in Christ's likeness in those times. If, on the other hand, if we let our circumstances beat us back into the flesh, we will not grow. We'll just flounder. But if we make a grace-fueled effort during those God-ordained afflictions, then we will grow in grace. If we, as Dr. Alexander says, if we exercise patience and fortitude and pray that God would sanctify that affliction. And if we look to Christ as our example in suffering, Hebrews 12 And if we don't complain, and if we don't become anxious, and if we're resolved that Christ will be honored in us, in life or death, to live as Christ and to die as gain, if that's our attitude in affliction, God will use that affliction to grow us. That's why he gave us that affliction. God uses all things to grow us. He's sovereign over your salvation. He is sovereign over your sanctification. God uses your marriage to grow you. He uses your singleness. He uses your job. He uses your unemployment. Your retirement, your children, your lack of children, the loss of a child, a difficult decision you have to make, all things. Affliction. Affliction is just just throwing extra weights on the rack. God is using all things to grow you. It's His will that Christ be glorified in you. So rely on His grace. Press on to Christ, and you'll grow. You'll grow in grace. You'll grow in Christ's likeness. Well, the last way that we grow in grace is the theme of this sermon series. All right, so all of that was an introduction. Right, the, the, the last way we grow, we're going to dwell on for the next several weeks. And this, this is what the old reformers call God's appointed means. You look to Luther, he'll say God's appointed means. You look to to Wesley, a ways after him, he would say the means of grace. We grow in grace through God's appointed means of grace. What does appointed means mean? Well, these are the means that are either commanded or ordained in Scripture. In other words, God has given us his word to show us the ways that we grow in grace. And his word is sufficient. They're they're very ordinary, 
things. That's why sometimes you'll see them called the, the ordinary means of grace. These, these are the, the means that God has established with the founding of the church. After all, we grow primarily together as a church. Ephesians chapter 4, one of my favorite passages. As a pastor, I would say this is like my theme passage. Right? Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. You hear me quote this probably monthly. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. You see, you probably sense it already. There's a similarity between what Paul's saying here and what Peter told us in 2 Peter 3. Peter said that to avoid being led astray, we have to grow in grace. Do you remember that? That's what today's sermon's about. Paul says that to grow, to no longer be children who are led astray, God has given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors to equip the church, to build the church up in faith. And there to get, there, it's again in this passage, in the knowledge of the Son of God, to the maturity in Christ. In other words, the growth in grace that Peter's talking about, Paul says that happens here in the context of the local church. That's where the growth and grace happens. God created the church, and God created the means that the church would grow. And by church, I don't mean this place, I mean these people, our membership. God, God didn't give this building spiritual gifts. He gave the gifts to the church body so, so that others could grow. As a pastor... I'm not primarily an, I'm not an employee of, of, of a big company or some denomination. I, I was given to you. We, we commissioned Josh today, not as a professional clergyman for tax purposes. Right? We, we, didn't, we didn't ordain him with a title, but together we acknowledge that the Spirit has gifted him with the desire and the ability to teach. And the Spirit has qualified him to lead. And so all we did... This morning was publicly together as a church recognize what God is already doing it's together as a church that we sit under the preaching of the word and it is the word preached that the spirit uses to bring life it's together that we sing the word it's together that in a moment we're going to see the drama of the gospel in the Lord's Supper it's together as a church that we welcome in new believers through baptism Together we pray for one another. And what Ephesians 4 is teaching us is that through these means, together we grow in Christ's likeness. And in each of these means, we see the grace of God on display. And we come to know Christ more closely in each of these things. Think about the Lord's Supper that we're about to take. What did Paul say? As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
as often as you do this. So whenever we do this, we're proclaiming the Lord's death. We're remembering the grace of God. So every time we participate, we're reminded of the grace of God. And the Spirit, who's present with us when we take the supper, He uses that means to grow us in grace. He uses that to draw us near to Christ by deepening our acquaintances with the benefits of Christ. Even the more personal means, and we're going to look at the means that are in the church, and we're going to look at the means that, that we that we use at home or that God uses at home to grow us, even those more personal means of grace, those things that God is using to grow you. We're going to study those, reading the word, studying the word, memorizing the word, your fellowship with God through prayer. God is using those means to grow you, not for the sake of your individual development, though. Did you know that? But so that through your growth, you steward God's grace for the rest of the church. Because it is the rest of the church that is growing with you. L- listen to how Peter says it. First Peter chapter 4. He says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So so we use these gifts for one another so that Christ would be glorified among us. Christ is glorified in us together as a church. So over the next two months, what we're going to do is examine seven of these ordinary means that God's Word tells us that the Holy Spirit uses to grow us in grace. There's many more. There's many that we could include, many that we left off, but we thought seven is a pretty good Bible number, isn't it? But that's what we chose, and we're also really looking forward to getting back to Matthew. So we don't want to stretch this out forever. My hope for us, though, is that we will resolve together as a church. We will resolve together that 2020 will be a year where we seek to place ourselves in the way of these spirit-appointed means. And so grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior for his glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word.